There are some things in the world that we know are better than other things, but it is better always best. You know, for instance, um, what's better than a rainy day? A sunny day. What's better than winter? What's better than hatred? What's better than injustice? Right. Excellent. So we know that there are some things in our life that appear to be better than other things. But are they always what is best? And especially I think that is a good question when it comes to God. Like we have our ideas, we have our opinions, we have our preferences. We, and these shape and form what we think is better for us or for the world or for humanity. But is this the way God thinks? And is this the way God acts? Let's take a look. We're celebrating Easter, but what comes to, before Easter, we have to understand, we'll never understand Easter, and what to do with Easter. So what comes before Easter, obviously, is that God created us. And when he created us, he created us in his image and likeness. And that means two things. It means that he gave us intelligence like him, albeit imperfect, not full yet. And that means we have awareness of him. And he gave us an awareness of him along with freedom, we call it free will, in order to choose him. So the whole reason why he created us in his image and likeness above all other creatures is so that we might be able to choose him. To know him and to choose him. Why? Because he's love and the very nature of love is community. It's not selfish love. God for all of eternity. He wants to share that love with us and have us share in that love. And that love is life itself for us. But here's the thing. He gives us freedom in the hopes that we would choose him. But if he's going to give us freedom, then he also has to give us the freedom in the reality that we may not choose him. And from the beginning and all the way up to today, all that he's really hoped is that we don't get confused. We don't get confused the difference between creatures and created things, like creatures like other people, and a host of just all the created things of this world. And not just always the, the bad stuff, the sinful stuff, but even the good stuff. And think that the created things and the creatures of this world are somehow better than the creator himself. And yet, isn't this exactly what Adam and Eve did in going for the proverbial apple? And isn't this exactly what you and I do up and down our lives? Is we have become confused. And in our confusion, we think that um, the amount of time that we spend in this life is better spent on the stuff that we want. And so, for instance, we, um, we spend a tremendous amount of time in our work and on our human relationships. And by the way, those human relationships often are good things, right? On our food, on our sports, on our recreation, on um, our addictions, on us and on other people, on a host of things that we're, and activities we're always involved in. But when we 
accumulate all of that and compare it to the amount of time and energy and effort we spend on them to the time and energy and effort that we spend on God, then we have our answer. I mean, as Christians sitting on Easter morning in church, we would never in our heads say that there's anything in this world better than God. But isn't that the way we live? We live as if there are all kinds of things better than God out there. And thus we spend the good amount of time on them. So that's unavoidable. We can't deny that. Not in an intellectual sense, but in an existential sense. There's no lying about that. There's no dodging that truth, right? And that's part of our fallen human nature. That's part of our sin. And the confusion, the darkness that comes with that sin. Okay, okay. But what to do with that? What did God do with that? Now, one of the first things that he tried, which we might think, yeah, this is a good idea, is he said, you know what? I'm just going to try over again. Well, that's Noah and the ark, right? That's the story of that. God trying again. But guess what? Human freedom is there. He leaves it intact because of love. And off we go again in the generations that follow Noah, doing the same thing that the forefathers and mothers did. Now, God could have tried a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time, infinitely more times. And that might seem to be better until he finally gets it right or we finally get it right. But we won't ever get it right. Not on our own. And so what seems to be better in the beginning wasn't what was actually best. Okay. So maybe then we might think to ourselves, well, just take away our freedom. This thing, as Christians and as Americans, we value most is freedom, right? So just take it away. Just take away free will. And then we'll basically be robots who follow God's will, crossing the T and dotting the I, every detail. And for a moment, that might seem what's best because then we don't have free will and we won't cause the wars and the famines and the selfishness and the injustices and the prejudice and all that kind of stuff that we do with our freedom. Okay, so just take it away. And better might seem best here, but let's think this thing through. Because if he takes away our freedom, our free will, guess what he takes away with it? Our ability to love. Our ability to love. And this is what we were created for. And to love not just one another, as good as human love is, when it's done right. But to love, love itself. The origin of love, the nature of love, the person of love. And God would never do that. He loves us too much to take away our freedom to love. Even though there are consequences to those freedoms which can be negative. And ultimately, that consequence of our freedom, when we choose something, someone, a host of things better than him, is what we call sin. 
even when it's good things that become better than him, that's sin. The consequences of that is that we get exactly what we live for. Not just in this life, and we'll get some of the good, right? But we'll get some of the bad of not choosing the best, God, in this life. But here's the kicker. We'll get for all of eternity what we live for now, because here and now is where we make the choice. What is better for us and what is best? That applies to all of eternity. And if we live this way, then that's where we end up. We call that place, that reality, hell. No one wants that. I don't know any person in the right mind who wants that. Then why do we live that? So God comes up with another answer. And the answer he comes up with is the cross. Well, before that... He decides to join us in our human nature and he becomes that person that none of us can be on our own. He becomes the person who gives a full response of love to God. Who spends his human life knowing God, loving God, trusting and having faith in God as Father and serving God. And then what he does is he chooses to take all of the consequences of our, of our freedom, especially our sins, but our love also. He takes all of the consequences of that and he takes it to the cross so that we at least have the opportunity through his action to be saved from ourself while keeping our freedom intact. And giving us the motivation, the witness, the example, the desire to love like he loves. That's the power of the cross. Now we might think to ourselves, couldn't it have been something else? I know I've thought this to myself as I've studied theology and, and I've looked at, really this is what you came up with as a cross? I mean, couldn't there be an infinite amount or almost an infinite amount of other ways in which God saved us? And I think theoretically, yes, it's possible. Theologians have pondered this. Like, for instance, couldn't have God, just from heaven, without ever becoming man, and never ever getting on a cross, just snapped his fingers, just snapped his fingers, and said, I wipe away all your sins. I take all your sins away. They're gone right now. Couldn't that have been the way that he saved us? And maybe, yes, it could be. But again, our better is not always his best. His best is this, upon the cross. And the reason why is that if God just came down and snapped his fingers and took away all of our sins and just opened up magically the gates of heaven, what would be left out? He wouldn't cancel our freedom. What would be left out is love. The possibility to love like him. And by that I mean this, is that he had to come up with an experience 
that we would all know and see, that would be available to us, so that we would see how much he loved us. This is how much he loved us. And this is the 40 days of Lent that we've been going through as Christians, pondering how much he loves us in his sacrifice, in his suffering, in his death. So that as we have freedom, and as we have all the goods of this world, and all the things that present themselves as goods of our our world, and all the things that we say in our redefinition of all created things and creatures, and turning things that are actually not good for us and saying that it is good for us, he takes all of that and he says, I'm the greatest good. I'm better than all of that. I'm the best. And I'm going to prove it and I'm going to show you, the God of the universe, how much I love you. And he did this to try to convince us that as we live this life, as I've just described it, we might change our thinking. We might change our hearts. We might change our lifestyles. We might change the way we live and become convinced that this is the first one, the best one. This is to be our greatest love. This is to be the one that we put above all other activities, all other things in this world. And this My friends, this love is the only thing that saves us. But it's only one half of the equation. You see, remember, we have freedom and we have free will. This is not magic. This is the labor of love. And we've heard that phrase before. And so we have a part to play in our love. God gave his response to our sinfulness by sending his son but we still have to give our response as individuals. Each of us, it's inescapable. We have to also make the choice to love and live in the reality of that love, our first love, our greatest love. And we call that, again, the labor of love. Anybody, any man or woman who's been married beyond, let's say, a month understands that love takes work. In fact, it takes a lifetime of work. And sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it's not so beautiful. Right? And yet, we labor at that. And why? Because when a man meets a woman, then what are the first things they do? They get to know one another. And then then they start to fall in love with one another. And then they start to have faith in one another. And then they start to trust in one another. And then they spend their lives, if they're doing it right, serving one another. With the goal of the reason why God put this person in my life is for me to spend my life helping her, helping him get to heaven. That's the purpose of marriage. And we are redefining it in all kinds of ways in this world today. But it's about love. And not just human love between two persons, but about God's love. But the very way in which we love one another as human to humans is the same love, the way we're called to love God because we're the human element. And so it doesn't change for us. 
We're given a lifetime to come to know him. To come to fall in love with him. To have faith in him. To trust in him. And then learn to follow him in his ways, his will. And to serve him. So that what any man or woman who's doing it right in marriage can say, we can say about our relationship with God. You've met people like this in marriage where they say, after 25 years together, 50 years together, where they say to their spouse, I love you now more, better than I ever did when we were younger. And this is supposed to be our lives as Christians. We're supposed to be able to say as we grow older, I love you more now. And yet, that's the opposite that's happening with some of our lives. We loved him when we were little kids, but then when we grow up and to be adults, we find ourselves loving him less. Don't we? And yet, if we're doing it right, and this is an indication of if we're really living the Christian life, is we should find ourselves, as we advance in age, actually falling more in love with him. If we're not, something has gone terribly wrong in your Christian life. This is not what God has willed, and this is not his way, and this is not the way to salvation. And the reason why is that he's done his labor of love, now we must do our labor of love. And that's where the resurrection comes in. The resurrection, (laughs) there's so many ways that he could have done this. Again, in in my mind, the way I think theologically, I just think to myself, "Isn't, isn't there a better way you could have done resurrection? I mean, look at the shape of the world as it is today, right? Couldn't have Jesus come to his disciples And as the gospel says, that by the end of the gospels, there's probably several hundred people that he appeared to. The gospel says, for instance, he appeared to Mary, appeared to the disciples. He appeared, uh, at one point, the gospel says, to 500 other people. So maybe a thousand people he appeared to, but no more than that. And this is what he was relying upon in order to save the world, that this group, this small little group, this fraction of a fraction of a fraction of human society would go out into the world and bring him as a person and his message through the church to bring everyone to his love so that he might save them and they might accept that salvation and experience his salvation in the reality of love. Really? This is your plan, God? I mean, wouldn't it have been so much better? Remember, our better is not always his better. But in my mind, I think to myself, why didn't you just appear, not just to your disciples and a few hundred other people, why didn't you appear to every person on the face of this earth? Every person. And not just during your time of the resurrection, but every generation that follows all the way up to this time and up until the end of time itself. I mean, that just seems to be better, right? Here I am. I'm God. I exist. Trust in me. Love me. Follow me. And I'll give you everything that you want and more. And I'll make everything in this life better. And then I'll give you the best in heaven itself. Seems like a better plan to me, right? Except for this. Not only is freedom and love part of our salvation, but as I mentioned, faith is too. 
And so God identifies, and we see this in the gospel, that faith is our necessary part for us to respond to God's love in love, but not 100% certitude. Which because that is our golden standard today, many of us don't follow him. And certainly don't follow him fully. And yet, look at the Gospels. Like, the week after Jesus is resurrected, first, first week, one of his disciples, Thomas, wasn't with him. So he doesn't believe. Just like you and I. Unless I really see him, I can sense him with all my senses, then I'm not going to believe in him. That's Thomas. That's us. But a week later, he comes to Thomas, and he says, cease in your disbelief. Put your finger right here in the holes in my hand, and put your hand in my side, and cease in your disbelief. And so Thomas does, of course. And he says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus gives this response. He says, you believe because you see. But blessed is the man, the woman, who does not see and believes. He says to Thomas, more blessed, better is the man and woman who doesn't see and believes. Why? Why is faith better than absolute certitude? Or just look at marriage again. When a man and a woman say yes to one another on the day of their marriage, they know nothing about their future with one another. They don't know if it's going to be for good or for ill, and richness and health, um, sickness and poor, whatever, right? They don't know if one of them, you know, a week or a year or 10 years afterwards, get in a terrible accident, becomes an invalid, and that man, that woman has to take care of the one that they love for the rest of their life. They don't know their future. There is no certitude. But what happens? Out of love and in faith and trust in one another, they give themselves what? Fully to one another. And that's a human being. And we're talking about an infinite God who's asking us to give ourselves fully to him in faith and trust in him, even though we do not see him fully. You know, we think in our modern age that seeing is believing. That's a load of crap. Believing is seeing. When we believe in him, then our eyes are open. The veil is lifted. And we see not only the truth of this world, we see the truth of what can be in our lives. So faith is an absolutely essential element to any human relationship. And how much more is it and should be in our divine relationship? And that's why God did not appear to everyone in his resurrection, when he resurrected on the day of the resurrection, and still to this day doesn't do that. Because he keeps intact a necessary element for our salvation, which is not just freedom and love, but faith. But what went wrong? You know, for the longest time, we as Christians were following the plan. For century after century, until up until the 20th century, we made our Christ's presence felt 
and experienced in every corner of the world of every nature, every nation, every tongue, every, every culture, every people. The Christian church was present. But now it's on retreat. Especially in the last 60 years. Why? <laughs> we went back to this is better than that. We went back to I can come up with something better for myself. We went back to seeing is believing. We went back to using our freedom not to choose God's love, which is why he gave us freedom. We went back to choosing and using our free will to choose everything else in this world before him. I'm not saying we deny him. I'm saying before him, more than him, better than him. And the world is in the shape that it's in today because we as Christians, his chosen people, have chosen to go back to our old ways long before the resurrection. And yet, he will not change his plan because his plan is best. And his plan is dependent upon each of you and me. His plan is dependent upon his son, but his son has already done the labor of love and now we must return to the labor of love. We must return to the reality that God created us free will in order first to choose him. And here's the beautiful thing about this. When we choose him first, when we say he's better, when we say he's the best, then he affects everything else. All the other activities that we're a part of, all the things that we have, all the people in our lives actually become better. We don't have to reject them. We don't have to deny them. They're not becoming less because of him, we are, it's possible for us to love people the way they deserve to be loved rather than our own human love. We can love him with God's divine love filling up in us and flowing over into others. And that's the stuff that's going to convert the world again. And this is what we celebrate on Easter morning. We celebrate the reality that the resurrection matters. Jesus' resurrection matters. Not that he appeared to everyone, but a few. And up to this day, we are that few. We are that minority once again. But we still have that freedom. And we still have the best example of what love really is. We still have this God upon a cross who says, this is how much I love you. And it's hopes that we will change even our lifestyles to respond to this love. And we still have his power to overcome our sins and the consequences of our sins through his resurrection. And we still have faith. And all we have to do is spend our lives from this morning going forward. It doesn't matter the past. This morning going forward. Getting to know him more. Choosing to love him more. Learning to trust in him more. And to have faith in him more. And then following him in his ways. And serving him. This is the stuff that will not only save you. And it is the only way that we will experience salvation. But this is the stuff that will save the people who you love. Some of who are sitting next to you. 
And some of who are out there thinking what's out there is better than what's in here. And this is your freedom to be able to save them too. Because you have that power. When Christ said, go out into all the world, baptizing and teaching everyone what I have taught you and drawing all nations to myself. That world is the world that revolves around you. It's that circle of influence, the people in your life. If we start with me and them, then we go out and change the world. That's the reality of Easter. And that's the power of resurrection. And we just need to start living it. Not just believing in it, but living it again.